Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Greener Thoughts, and there are some amazing environmental holidays for early September. So it's really great because it's been a while since I've actually talked about some important environmental holidays, but there are two in particular that you should know about. The first is National Wildlife Day, which is on September the 4th. And then lastly is Amazon Rainforest Day, which is immediately after on September the 5th. Headlines from the Hemispheres is our next segment up. And as you know, or if you're new to the Greener Thoughts program, it's where I cover environmental news all across the globe and give you a brief synopsis or summary of some headlines all over the world. They all vary and I kind of make it uh, very diverse in the countries that I cover and subject matter too. So the first headline is out of Australia. Inequality drives deep divide between Australian children. So phys.org had that piece. It is really great for all things physical science and uh, all types of information and especially their more uh, short and concise summaries, and mostly uh, you'll you'll catch every type of uh, science and all the ologies, and it's really a helpful resource. So there was a recent report called the Bank West uh, Curtin Economics Center from them, and they uh, had the report, The Early Years Investing in Our Future, and it revealed some startling information about children out of disadvantaged communities uh, in Australia. And it covered how uh, those who come from the most disadvantaged backgrounds in Australia, they are less likely to attend the 15 required hours of preschool and also more vulnerable to being uh, developmentally uh, held back or challenged in some ways within the first five years of their young lives. So there were other um, key findings from the report as well. And there were, there were tons, listed about 10 plus uh, different findings, but I wanted to just capture uh, some of them to give you a, a feeling of, of how this, this data was, was carried out and what the researchers found. So one of the first findings was from the report were that uh, children who attended a preschool in the year before schooling uh, are less likely to be developmentally vulnerable in their first year of school. Also, that Western Australia had the lowest proportion of children enrolled in a center-based daycare or preschool programs uh, and at, at, at only 6% compared to 50% nationwide. So kids in Western Australia, they're not getting 
uh, that preschool care at a daycare center, it's only around 6% of the time versus uh, kids from other parts of Australia at about half, um, uh, 50% across the whole country of where they get that uh, day uh, care and those preschool programs there. Also, that a single parent with one young child uh, that is in severe uh, poverty, when, when the family is in severe poverty, they uh, usually live on less than $370 per week after taking into account housing costs. That also one in two indigenous children in Western Australia are accessing more than 15 hours uh, of preschool each week compared to 70% of non-Indigenous children. And that lastly, in, an Indigenous child aged uh, between 0 and 4 years old in Western Australia is 19.3 times more likely to be in uh, out-of-home care than a non-Indigenous child. The next headline is about Mexico and one of their officials, namely the environment minister, recently resigning. Mexico's environment minister resigns, president defends government's green record. Reuters had this piece, and again, this is out of Mexico. So Mexico has done some shifting of who is running their environmental uh, departments at the federal level. And when it comes to the environment minister, he actually resigned after clashes uh, of priorities of, the, of policies uh, with his colleagues. So the previous environment minister, it was a Victor Manuel Toledo, and he is a huge academic, and he's really known for his views and work on sustainable agriculture and environmental practices for uh, Mexico's indigenous people. And uh, he said his decision was really because of health reasons and wasn't because of any political implications or anything like that. But um, those who are close to Toledo and those around him, they kind of, you know, thought that it was uh, the resignation was because of a leaked recording of how he criticized uh, the Mexicans, the Mexican government's views on environmental issues, namely the herbicide glyphosate used by farmers. Glyphosate, as you know, was and is a uh, horrible, disgusting, and toxic uh, chemical used uh, for growing all types of crops. It's one of the most common, uh, highly uh, popularized uh, herbicide in the world, millions of pounds used every year. And I just did a podcast episode about glyphosate. So you want to check that out because it's really um, important that I hit on all the notes. And because this article, you know, talked about glyphosate a little bit that I thought to talk about this. But for all those who haven't checked out that podcast episode I did not too long ago, be sure to listen in on it. So he had a real problem with some of the environmental concerns that weren't being met um, in the office. So um, there were other uh, people that um, Toledo was mentioning, namely the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel um, Lopez Obrador, who uh, said that um, he was to you know release a decree authorizing that genetically modified corn uh, would be phased out and so with glyphosate it would be phased out of use. 
Uh, Toledo also said that 80 other farm chemicals uh, were also to be banned in Mexico. Now, the president, Lopez Obrador, said that, that Toledo's decision to leave, it was before even the fight over the use of glyphosate, which is popular down in Mexico. Now, again, the uh, the past environment uh, minister, Victor Manuel uh, Toledo, he is himself a little bit up there in age, he's 75 or so, and he recently had gone back to his position um, after leaving office to work as a, as a biologist at uh, Mexico's National Autonomous University. And the welfare minister, Maria Louise Alvarez, she will be taking over Toledo's post and her position will be replaced by her deputy minister, uh, Javier May. Lastly is the story about uh, crops and resistance to floods. So scientists unlock crops' power to resist floods. ENN had that story. It's the Environmental News Network. This piece also comes out of Australia, and it focuses on these types of special enzymes that are in plants, and they uh, they work to lower oxygen levels and change how vital crops kind of respond and are resistant to flooding that's triggered by things like climate change. This is what uh, new research out of the University of Oxford uh, was um, publishing, what they did. So the research is published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences uh, of the United States of America. And the focus of the different crops in the research were mainly staple crops like your rice and wheat and barley. All of these can temporarily survive when it comes to a, a significant uh, weather event, uh, natural disaster event like flooding. And according to the co-author, he hopes that the findings can help push flood-tolerant crops, those of which I mentioned, to help mitigate the, the devastating social and economic impacts of these uh, extreme weather events we have uh, on food production. So this is some really great uh, research and news out of phys.org. Phys is in P-H-Y-S. Really great site. I did tell it a bit uh, earlier in the program. And uh, I figured that this is an interesting topic only because, and mainly because of the connections between wastewater and antibiotics and also antibiotic uh, misuse and not being um, uh, an issue that isn't covered a lot on uh, Greener Thoughts here. And we need to examine like what we're putting in our water and why this is even happening and continues to get worse over uh, every you know, so years and decades, there's always a new superbug coming out. And there are some that I'll, I'll get to a little bit later, some that you may have heard about and some that you will definitely need to know about because there are different uh, tiers of importance when it comes to some of these superbugs and their resistance to certain drugs that you may be taking or someone else may be taking. You know, how can we prevent this? What are some uh, big next steps uh, to uh, safeguarding our health? Because we want to be healthy and we want to live and and we want the medication to do its job, but if there's, there are some impediments to that, we need to know about uh, how we can make them better. 
And uh, we're going to also talk about medications that are discarded in our waterways and the places that they lead to in our oceans and which drugs are most resistant or the strains of even the superbugs that you need to worry about most. So we're going to look at the topic at hand of antibiotic medication, bacteria, and our water. So new research was um, trying to understand the current level of uh, safe antibiotics and, and what levels they can be um, disposed of in rivers so that it wouldn't um, make any more antibiotic resistance in our bodies and it will truly uh, have us be um, healthy. So you were, they're looking at in the research, uh, what's the safest level of uh, depositing of these antibiotics that we can do safely so that when it comes back to us, when that water comes a cycle back to us or, or is recycled, that it doesn't inevitably um, make us sicker or even create bigger superbugs because there was too much of a of a disposal of um, antibiotics in in our in our medications in the first place, the study did suggest that there needs to be uh, and in, in, thought to introduce different thresholds to help fight the spread of resistant bacteria. So that's the main focus of the study, and around seventy percent of antibiotics that we take. Uh, as medicine and to cure us and to help our our, our health conditions not uh, not completely worsen, all of these are discharged into the natural environment through either our flushing of waste or discarded medicines and other types of sources too. So these antibiotics, uh, unfortunately, they interact and kind of work with and fight sometimes bacteria that's already present in nature. So they're already uh, evolving on the level to resist uh, working in, on the, in the outside environments. They're, they're not even breaking down. They are fighting with the bacteria that has been here for millennia. And these bacteria then transfer a resistance to a human-associated bacteria. So bacteria from the outside that's only present in nature is working and fighting with bacteria that's only present or is, 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 is more frequent in humans. And so that means inevitably, inevitably that um, antibiotics are less likely to work over time. Who the world... World Health Organization, it has recognized that antibiotic resistance is one of the top and greatest uh, health risks of our time, which makes sense. Uh, and by 2050, there are going to be millions upon millions of deaths, up to 10 million deaths per year, caused because of antibiotics and other antimicrobial drugs, them not working or working as effectively to treat common diseases. Now, this is going to be scary because if you in the future have a respiratory tract infection or if you have a sexually transmitted disease or even a urinary tract infection, you're not going to be able to cure it. So the threat of resistance is severe, and even those who have uh, surgical procedures, they're going to be uh, having to uh, look at the risk associated with um, superbugs and antibiotic resistance there because after surgery, there's going to be uh, um, more risks of infection because uh, certain antibiotics are not going to be working. So let's look at the research data. So the research comes 
out of the University of Exeter, and it was a collaboration with AstraZeneca, and this was published in the journal Communications Biology. And it indicates that, of course, current thresholds that we have may not be sufficient to prevent that terrible resistance of uh, bacteria. So the research team, it conducted uh, several lab experiments and tests, and it grouped the five antibiotics into three commonly used classes of antibiotics. So there's the macrolide, which has the three uh, different um, antibiotics that they were the focus of, and then you have floral quinolone, um, and they had uh, cipro uh, flow and then there's tetracycline. So with the mycolides and with the ciproflaxacin uh, that's used, you know, for UTIs and such, um, they were, those were included in the European Commission Water Framework Directives uh, Priority Substances Watch List. So that's a mouthful back in 2018 because these two are particularly toxic to aquatic life. And then the team went ahead and investigated at, at the lowest concentrations of which are uh, resistant to antibiotics in a complex communities of bacteria were present in wastewater. So they looked at a wastewater in some of the lowest concentrations that could um, facilitate uh, uh, the antimicrobial uh, medications and everything that's disposed in wastewater, how it cannot be um, out of control. So they looked at lower the lowest concentrations uh, that they could. And the team found that floral quinolone concentrations that were similar to those found in the environment did drive increased antibiotic resistance, whereas mycolides did not, confirming that the need to set thresholds specific to the type of antibiotic. So dependent on the antibiotic, there needs to be and should be different thresholds uh, so that uh, antibiotic resistance doesn't get out of control for those specific uh, medications. So I'm going to leave you with a notable quotable. Quote, antibiotic resistance is a grave international threat to life. While much attention has focused around reducing use in clinical environments, we also need to urgently curb evolution and transmission of bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics through the natural environment. Our research indicates that current thresholds proposed may still be too high and may not completely remove the risk posed by antibiotics present in aquatic environments, end quote. Now it's from Dr. Isabel Stanton of the University of Exeter. So with the influx of all the types of medications that get flushed down our toilets, I think that you listening would love the podcast episode I did uh, a, a long time ago, somewhat, um, back on August 8th, 2019, it's episode 74, and it's called How to Safely Dispose of Unused Medications 
and it discusses so much on medications uh, that are commonly disposed of, misuse, how to prevent that going on, especially if you live in the U.S. and then abroad. There are other similar programs too that you can uh, watch out for. Maybe you have uh, a Germany, um, Germans, um, medication take back day or even maybe in Brazil, the same thing. Or maybe companies take back their own medication, especially if it's been expired from consumers. So you want to look at that podcast episode because I don't want to reiterate um, extra information and make this podcast episode extra long when you can check out that one. It's really great. You get double the dose of great information too. And it kind of expands upon that, especially in the commentary I did and in the Mother Earth Minute. So it's really great there. Uh, I do want to talk about a really alarming fact that in the U.S. Uh, has to do with the annual costs of you know fighting uh, resistant bacterial infections. That in the U.S. here, there's an estimated uh, $21 billion to $34, $34 billion it takes to fight uh, antibacterial um, uh uh, bacteria that isn't dying because of the infections uh, that are resistant. So that's an alarming statistic. It takes billions of dollars just to fight the superbugs that won't even die because they built up enough stamina to completely thrive in environments that should have killed them in the first place. And there was a, another report from the CDC that covered that more than 2.8 million antibiotic-resistant infections occur here in the U.S. each year, and more than 35,000 people die as a result of, you know, not curing their infections firsthand and on, on the first try. And uh, the CDC had a recent report that I found that it's completely searchable for those in the U.S. and probably abroad too. You want to you know look at these these uh, data points. The CDC has their 2019 AR threats report, uh, and this the CDC's antibiotic resistance threats in the U.S. There are so many, but I just covered uh, certain ones that I thought were um, most common. And there are different categories of which they're split up in. So there are the urgent threats, there are the serious threats, and then there are the concerning threats. So I'm going to go over these, um, all of these and just break them down um, a little bit. So with the urgent threats, uh, one of the three um, or four of them are... I think there's yeah, there's about four of them I did for this one. So there's C. auris, which is a fungus, and it's composed of uh, having uh, you're you're gonna have severe infections, and it's spread easily between hospitalized patients and in nursing home environments. So for the, all those who have elderly uh, grandparents or parents, um, you want to make sure that they're not gonna be exposed to C. auris. Uh, next is a C. diff. C. diff is, is a common bacteria. I've heard the name before. It's a bacteria that uh, definitely will cause life-threatening diarrhea and colitis. Then there's also CRE. CRE is also known as the nightmare bacteria. So that just shows you and tells you everything you need to know about this bacteria. This Bacteria is present and is a huge concern for patients in healthcare facilities and hospitals. 
in uh, places where they need to, you know, get checked out in clinics and such. And the germs, they're in a huge family, and nearly all of them are resistant to all types of antibiotics. Next is uh, N. gonorrhea, or N. gonorrhea, and it's aka the drug resistant gonorrhea. And uh, gonorrhea, or gonorrhea, um, uh, as it's known of, and then the name is gonorrhea, but it's just a it causes the uh, sexually transmitted disease gonorrhea. So gonorrhea and gonorrhea ray and gonorrhea um, causes gonorrhea. And it's life-threatening because it will affect those women, women who are trying to get pregnant. You're going to have ectopic pregnancies and infertility and your risk of getting uh, and giving HIV is higher. And then next, the next category are the serious threats. These are the um, types of bacteria that are serious. They may not be uh, in, the, in the other category of urgent threats, but they're pretty serious as well because all of these are drug-resistant. So drug-resistant uh, Campylobacter, which is AKA Campy bacteria, is uh, known to cause diarrhea, often bloody, fever, abdominal cramps, and it spreads from animals to people through contaminated foods. So those who eat raw or undercooked chicken are predisposed to this. Next is drug-resistant Candida uh, species, which causes all types of infections from uh, mild and oral and vaginal uh, problems, namely vaginal yeast infections and also other invasive infections, and it's resistant to antifungals used to treat them. Now, lastly is the drug-resistant non-typhoidal uh, salmonella. It's a bacteria, and it spreads from animals to people through food and usually will cause diarrhea and fever and abdominal cramps. And it usually will have um, infections that will spread to your blood and have you left with life-altering complications. Lastly are the uh, other uh, the other category of concerning threats and to just name a few are just the um, enthromycin resistant group A streptococcus or aka resistant group A strep or gas and then uh, it is known to cause infections from uh, minor to serious um, uh, ailments such as strep throat um, health conditions like pneumonia, flesh-eating infections, sepsis, and it's pretty common. And then there's uh, clindamycin-resistant uh, uh, group B streptococcus, a.k.a. resistant group B strep or GBS, and it can cause illness in all types of people of all ages. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in this episode and to protect Mother Earth. Now, for this podcast episode, it simply goes without saying that we must take care of where our medications go uh, and we have to use them in their entirety. We can't, you know, skip uh, days or we can't give them to our friends and, and other things. We just have to um, uh, make sure that we even try and keep ourselves healthy so we don't have to get medication that may be resistant 
uh, to your, your body and its chemistry may be resistant to bacteria that is already in your body, a good bacteria even. So you want to look at uh, staying healthy but also taking in these steps so that you don't have to dispose of medication uh, in any way that's not safe to our planet. And there, there are different medications that are out there that are on flush safe, li- flush safe lists, but I wouldn't recommend them because those lists kind of do change and they need to be updated often. The FDA has their own list of, of those things, um, but I'm not sure about medication that's not even uh, made and manufactured in the US, so there's that. But uh, the FDA.gov uh, website has many different ways that you can kind of protect yourselves against antibiotic resistance and ways to protect our environment too. So one of the first tips is to take the antibiotics as prescribed. So this is simply using it as the doctor intended for you to use it so you feel better uh, more uh, more quickly. And the treatment, uh, it won't work if, if, if you stop taking the medication um, because you think you feel better or you know if you become sick again with that same illness the remaining bacteria uh, may not become resistant because you haven't taken the antibiotic um, as prescribed or as directed. Number two is to not skip any doses. This means that um, you know you don't skip days. You take it at a certain time per day. You take it, you know, maybe daily or within the few weeks that you have to take a particular type of medication. Or maybe you're consistently on it, but you you don't want to skip your doses. So antibiotics are most effective when they're taken as prescribed. So reading the um, uh, information on the bottle, you know, correctly. You know, not eating certain foods that will definitely mess with the the ingredients or potency of the medication that's something to uh, be aware of too because you can't you know drink alcohol or or drive um, a vehicle or you know uh, eat certain foods that may uh, mess again with the chemistry of uh, that uh, medication that you're taking number three is to not save your antibiotics you may think that you'll have this this cold or this sickness another time maybe in the future but antibiotics are used for that particular infection at the time you never want to take leftover medication because you're going to have to you know worry about you know disposing of it if it's expired you think you can maybe squeeze a few days out of it you don't want to do that and you want to uh, make sure that you know when taking the wrong medication or how much of it or anything like that or the dosage even it will uh, delay your uh, treatment that you're supposed to get and may even make the condition worse so you want to be aware of that number four is to not take anyone else's antibiotics prescribed for someone else so you want to look at um you know just keeping your medication your medication and their medication their medication Uh, it may not be appropriate for your illness or symptoms or how your 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 um the the biometrics of you you know, maybe it's for people who are of a certain weight or, you know, those who are of a different ethnic background are more predisposed to, you know, certain health conditions. And if you take that medication, it may have an adverse effect on you. And you also, uh, you know, want to know that if you take that medication, which you shouldn't do, it may be the incorrect treatment. So you're thinking that you're taking medication from them and it could help you, but it doesn't help, it doesn't help the problem. It doesn't end the infection. And it can actually also make your condition worse. 
Number five is to talk with your healthcare professional. You want to be able to ask questions. I've, I've talked about before being your own advocate, learning all about the disease infection that you can, talking with them until they answer all your questions. You don't have any ambiguity about what they're saying or you're not missing any important information. Um, and that you want to make sure that you know how to take that um, antibiotic if it's really appropriate, what are the pros and cons of doing so, the symptoms, um, and how to appropriately take it. Um, so that you feel better and your infection or your uh, health um, condition or problem is remedied. Number six is to prepare for any side effects, any and all side effects you want to be aware of. You should let your healthcare professional know of any new or different unusual symptoms or side effects of taking any medication, period. And you also may want to, um, you may need to stop the antibiotic because of that uh, really horrible side effect. And then you may be able to switch to a different antibiotic. But you want to let your healthcare professional know, your doctor know, um, someone in your, your family know um, so that they can get you to uh, the proper healthcare professionals to uh, solve the issue so that you can get the correct or um, the, the, the antibiotic that's best for you. And number seven is to go to the DA's website, the Drug Enforcement Agency of the U.S. Um, and it's all about Take Back Day um, and the information present there. You can go to takebackday.edu dea.gov. Uh, if you're especially in the U.S. for their twice annual Take Back Day, it occurs in April and in October of uh, every uh, calendar year. And you can check your country's similar drug enforcement uh, drug agency for information and also about sending in unused medication. The ego fact of the day is that DNA from Neanderthals is linked to higher fertility in modern humans and increased risk of severe illness from the coronavirus. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club's Sierra Magazine in a September-October 2020 issue. The Eco Company Spotlight is where we are right now in the Greener Thoughts program. And as you know, or if you're new here, it's where I talk about amazing environmental companies that have products and services of all types that you may or may not have heard of. And uh, I cover them and I do wonderful reviews of the product services at hand. Um, I, I love talking about all the different products and companies, mainly because I learn a little bit more about them and also you do too. And, you know, there's a good exchange of, you know, information that you probably haven't heard of before. And that's really great to hear. Um, there's always... There's always someone who, who loves this, you know, segment a lot. And, you know, I try to, you know, do the best I can at uh, being thorough with my reviews and getting you to know a little bit about the company and the feel of them and how they got started and what they can bring to your life. So I'm going to talk about a new company, one that I like, and it's called Fourth and Heart. 
Fourth and Heart is a pretty uh, cool company, mainly because they love ghee and ghee products in this amazing uh, substance that is a replacement for conventional butter. And they want to make it a truly uh, live without uh, pantry staple, and they want to convince the world of its stableness as a shelf product, how it's healthier for you, it's lactose free, and it's a better version of butter that you probably haven't heard of before. Also, they want to, of course, craft, and they do craft chef inspired flavors, and they make amazing ghee uh, products for you so that you can make delicious meals for yourself or for your family. So as far as the commitment to sustainability, they do a little bit. They have the amazing um, uh, point that their product is made from grass-fed New Zealand butter. It's made in small batches. It's pasture-raised, and it's keto, paleo, and Whole30 certified. It's also lactose and casein-free, and it's made in uh, recyclable packaging and has recyclable packaging. Now, with their product selection, they do have a few different flavors for their ghee. They have it in garlic ghee. They have the Himalayan pink salt ghee. They have the original ghee, just the original flavor. They have the turmeric ghee, and they also have the vanilla bean ghee. They also have their ghee oil and their ghee oil spray. And then they also have their chalk tea, which is a chocolate ghee spread. Now I love that uh, Fourth and Heart is an amazing product and I have a great experience with it because I, I bought it I think back in spring 2019 from Whole Foods and I bought the turmeric ghee because I do love turmeric and I knew it would add some kick and some spice uh, to my meals and I love that it has many uses uh, on its website for ghee. There are recipes of working with ghee, they have rice dishes that you could work with, eggs, breakfast items, you could fry with this, you could use it uh, in golden milk. Uh, as a recipe for oatmeal, other breakfast items, for baking, you can use it on top of popcorn, uh, melting it for different snacks, desserts, the possibilities are almost endless uh, that you could use a uh, ghee with. Anything that you would use conventional or even organic uh, butter with, maybe even homemade butter with, you could also spice it up and use some ghee that can replace your uh, butter that you're used to. It does have an acquired taste. Um, which is a good thing, and it works great in dishes that kind of require, you know, a butter and, or an oil even. Uh, and so if you want to change up your flavor, maybe you don't want to use butter. Maybe, you know, you bought margarine. I don't know who even buys margarine, but maybe you could replace it with ghee, and it can also do the job of, of doing your food, um, you know, a, a bit of a flavor, a bit of a health kick as well. It is extremely smooth. I love the consistency of it. No more blocks of butter. No more waiting for it to, to heat, heat up to room temperature to use it. No more breaking off uh, butter slices on uh, warm or cold bread uh, because the butter hasn't uh, heated up to a, a normal temperature or a reasonable temperature. Uh, I love the fact that it comes in so many flavors. It tastes amazing. Um, and I love it. I've used it on my grilled cheese. I've used it for eggs. I've used it for just those type of things too. And, and anytime I needed some butter for something, I would, you know, whip up the, the ghee and just scoop it out of the, the, the glass uh, jar that comes in in the, in the metal cap. 
so I love it overall I do give it a big high score it has beautiful packaging and I will be reusing the bottle when I'm done with Guy it's so pretty um, again the packaging is recyclable and the prices are pretty great extremely reasonable um, nothing you know out of the ordinary for butter um, and I would give it totally a 5 out of 5 green thumbs up so fourth and heart can be found in stores and online. You can check them out on their website, Fourth and Heart. That's Fourth uh, spelled um, out, F O U R T H and Heart. Uh, and you can also find it in plenty of different stores online and in store at places like Amazon, Thrive Market, and Instacart online, and then in places like Albertsons, Giant, Harris Teeter, Kroger, Natural Grocers, uh, Publix, Safeway, Sprouts, Target, Walmart, Wegmans, Whole Foods Market, and also, yes, Organic. You can also find Fourth and Heart, on social media and they have different uh, pages that they're available on their Facebook page namely is at fourth and heart now that's fourth like their numeral uh, heart, uh, fourth uh, and heart you can find them on Instagram at fourth and heart spelled out on LinkedIn at fourth and heart a uh, fourth is the numeral fourth and heart and then Twitter is at fourth and heart four t h and heart and on youtube you can find them at fourth spelled out uh, f o u r t h uh, ampersand heart now to contact fourth and heart just go to their website fourth and heart spelled out and then click contact us at the bottom of their website to either email them or message them directly you for tuning in and listening to this podcast episode. I had a good time uh, learning a bit more about some information, namely that I didn't even know that there could be thresholds for certain medications. And and it makes sense, especially for those that are uh, more resistant, because you don't want the, the natural environment to, over time, not even be able to process uh, these medications because that water and everything is going to be coming right back to us. Uh, in the form of drinking water and use of cooking and for showering and everything else, cleaning. Uh, so that's something to be, to be aware of. And of course, all the different ways to make sure that you're not disposing of medication improperly. Uh, most of them are common sense, but you know, not a lot of people will take heed to those sometimes, especially over convenience. Some people just, you know, dump uh, things illegally, even car, car tires, they, they dump, you know, mattresses and couches and everything else into the environment. And so they think that medication is no different, but that's actually not the case. And so in the worst things, you know, there, there, there are fish and, and, and guppies and tadpoles and everything else, um, growing in these water environments and they're having Prozac and birth control, um, laced, uh, in their waterways where they, where they grow up and, you know, they have uh, extra body parts and they come out as, you know, um, having both, um, sexual organs, uh, on their bodies. And that's due to the water that's around them. It's really scary. 
And we end up sometimes eating the, these fish or seeing their abnormalities uh, out in the open. And it's really disturbing. And that can all be prevented. So I, I hope that this podcast episode really helped you um, and bring some information uh, that you wouldn't have you know, caught otherwise. And I hope to cover a bit more in other podcast episodes. And be sure to check out the other podcast episode I did about how to safely dispose of your unused medications that you can check out. Again, that episode uh, is really informative because it's kind of related to this episode. It's a bit different though. Um, and it's it's really great for all those who want to and uh, want to look at different uh, ways to properly dispose of medications that they have. Um, and and those that have gone unused. So please continue to listen in on other episodes coming soon to share greener thoughts. I know that I've gotten a lot of shares uh, from different episodes, and a lot of people have uh, you know come to uh, check out episodes and to spread the good word about greener thoughts, which I really appreciate and I love and I thank you so much for. And you could also contribute to Greener Thoughts as well. There's information on how to do that on the Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash Greener Thoughts Podcast. And there are different tiers of what you can support by going to support. And then there are different tiers, uh, really different uh, low costs of how you can support Greener Thoughts that way too. So until next time, I hope that you will be safe and continue to um, you know, share this podcast episode with those, especially those who take medications and such. And to also, as always, please take care of yourselves and also to please take care of the planet. See you soon. Mm-hmm.